0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome once again. My name is Alan. Glad to have you with us on this weekend. We are missing some, many of our students. We're missing some of our parents, some of our leaders, because they are at winter break. They're doing this weekend, uh, being together and, and growing in their relationship with God at winter break. This is a picture of some of the female leaders on this group. That's a very good crew there. The reason I'm bringing this up uh, with you here today is uh, we got word from them that there is snow coming. There's a threat of nine to 13 inches of snow, and so they are going to come back a day early, which blows my mind as a Canadian that this would ever happen in Arizona. (laughs) This is, the possibility just blows me away. But it is happening, they're coming back a day early. And so they, just in case you didn't hear, they're gonna be here today at four o'clock instead of tomorrow at whatever time that schedule was. Today at four o'clock when the the kids are coming back. And as I understand it, this picture was taken uh, when the women found out they got to come back a day early. So, so I see the one in the bottom right there. She's, yeah, okay, so so anyway uh, that's the story we want to make sure you were aware of that today at four o'clock if you are new or just visiting with us, you might be wondering why the stage looks so cluttered, why it looks like a messy garage. Well, it is part of uh, the, the symbols for the series for this uh, that we've been looking at over the past few weeks, cleaning out our garage. That essentially, what we're talking about in this series is that we have a tendency to leave things on the back of shelves in the garage, of our in the back of our spiritual garages, and we just don't deal with them. We just, we walk around, the and we just just don't deal with it, we don't worry about it, but God wants something so much more for us. God wants us to deal with that stuff buried in the back of the garage, and wants to clean out our garage of, of all issues, all, you know, the Bible talks about sin, and so it's just cleansing us of all of this stuff. We've been centered on a verse as a key verse in this series, 1 John chapter 1, verse nine, and we've been inviting you to learn this verse with us. I know some of you already know the verse. If you're brand new with us, this might be a little uh, odd, but we are gonna jump into just a hint version of this verse and see how well we can do, all right? See, we got a lot of blanks here today, but we can do it, all right? Ready, okay, let's do this, if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness it kind of got a little mumbly at the end but overall it was it was pretty good okay hopefully you're paying attention enough we want to do it again all right repetition is the something of something okay ready ready If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Well done, good job. What we're doing in this series is we're looking at what church history has referred to as the seven deadly sins. And what's common about these seven deadly sins is that they're often subtle. They're often things that we hide in the back of the uh, can hide in the in the back of the shelf of of our garage. There's stuff that we just kind of we just don't notice. It's not a tree that has crashed through the living room. It's something that's hiding in the garage. I said a number of weeks back when we started this series, I said that we are not going to tackle lust as one of the seven deadly sins. And uh, some of you were very thankful for that. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, nah. (laughs) I, the more I thought about it, because I actually was thinking, okay, what are we going to do? We actually had a few weeks there, and, and honestly, the intention was not to do this, but the more we thought about this, I just, I just feel like these, we're going to do all seven deadly sins. So today, we, I, I did rock, paper, scissors with Jan, and he got to do you know, uh, uh, Envy last week, and so, so uh, I get to do Lust here today, but uh, we've got to do this because it's in all of our garages, All right, It's in all of our garages. I went out for dinner with a friend of mine and his wife. He's a pastor, and and they were telling me a story about when their son was four years old, and their son was sitting on mom's lap, and as a family, they were watching TV together. And uh, the commercials came on, and they were watching a Victoria's Secret commercial, which I hear can be rather provocative. (laughs) And so they were watching a Victoria's Secret commercial, and at the end, this four-year-old boy said... I want her to hold me. <laughs> and so then my friend the the dad, the the husband, the pastor, he wasn't thinking, and he said, "Me too." <laughs> so, so this is an issue that is relevant for all of us at almost any age, and so let's just kind of... Relax and see what God has to say about this. All right? Would you pray with me? Would you pray with me on this? God, we are thankful that you love us, that you know every part of us, everything that is hidden in our garage, and you want to, to cleanse us from all of it. So, God, this morning help us to open up the garage door and just invite you in to say, come, just just reveal to us perhaps things we didn't even know were in there. God, would you come and purify us? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Lust is kind of like farting. <laughs> because we all do it, but we're usually pretty embarrassed about it and we don't like to talk about it. And so so the, but lust is something that is, is there. It's just it's just common and some of us are more comfortable, you know, with language and and talking about other but it is it is common. But we don't it's kind of awkward and we don't like talking about it. We don't really want our pastor talking about it. That's kind of weird ill <laughs> ill. But have you ever thought about the fact that that Jesus talked about it? I mean, Jesus of Nazareth actually he didn't just hint at it. He talked directly about the issue. Of lust. And so we want to take a look at that today. We want to take a look at um, where he specifically talks about it in Matthew chapter 5. If you brought your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. If you have a di- digital Bible, it would be great to go there with me. Matthew chapter 5 is the first of three chapters that are referred to as the, the famous Sermon on the Mount. So this is part of Jesus' incredible sermon. And early on in the sermon, he talks about adultery. And he says this in Verse 27. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Now, this is, this is common ground. Hopefully this is common ground for all of us in this room. It is not wise, it is not the right thing to have sexual intimacy with someone else's spouse. If we do not have that in common as we get started with this conversation, the rest of this message is gonna sound ridiculous. But Jesus says, okay, here's this common ground, but he's gonna take it somewhere further, quite a bit further, verse 28. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay, that's a big jump. That's a big jump from adultery. So the first question I wanna ask you, do you agree with Jesus? Do you agree with the, word, with the words of Jesus? And it's an important question because many in our culture, many experts, many psychologists would disagree with that, would say that uh, lust and fantasies and masturbation, these are important ways to have, to have strong uh, sexual vigor. So many in our culture, many uh, doctors, et cetera, would say that this is, that this is not, uh, that would disagree with Jesus. Now, I'm I'm not going to try to uh, change your mind. We're going to have different thoughts and perspectives on this issue here in this room. I'm not going to try to change your mind on this. I just want to talk about what Jesus said. And so I'm going to proceed with the assumption that we in this room care what Jesus says, even about this topic, that we trust Jesus enough to teach us, that we trust Jesus as our rabbi. So what does Jesus have to say about this? Whoever looks at a woman lustfully, what does it mean to look lustfully? Is that the first look? Is that the second look? Is that the thoughts later on about the third and fourth look? What, what, where does the lust thing come in? Because there's a, a large gap between adultery and lust and whatever our definition of lust is. And there's a lot of different experiences and realities in between those two. What if, what if we're young and single? How does that affect how we look at other men and women and our attraction and how that all looks? How does that all blend out? What if we're engaged to be married and we're moving towards this covenant relationship? And we want to do that well, and we're getting closer and closer with this person. How does this all fit in terms of how we think about one another, et cetera? What if we're single, and we're for, a, for this period of life, we're trying to honor God with the reality of our singleness? What if we're married, but in that marriage relationship, the sexual intimacy is, is not going well? What, how, how, what, is, what does that look like? What if we're married, and the sexual intimacy is going quite well? And where, where does that all fit? There's a huge gap between adultery and lust. And so, so wh- where do you land in your situation, your reality of life? How, what does this verse mean? There's another problem with this verse. Well, I don't know if problem is the right word, but just the reality of this verse based on the words that Jesus used that, that this looks like a man's issue based on the words that Jesus used, that when when anyone who looks at a woman lustfully. So the question is, well, then then does this whole topic just kind of wipe out half of the crowd here? Is what what about women? What does lust look like for women? And who am I as a man right now standing before you to even bring that topic up? What do I know? Who who am I to say anything about that? How does this all uh, 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 fit? my understanding of this, based on conversations I've had and things that I've read, et cetera, this is not just a man's issue. This is going to look different for women, that oftentimes uh, this is more about connecting than it is about uh, uh, sexual intimacy. This is sometimes more about romance novels than it is about uh, pictures and pornography. I, I, heard, I read one woman uh, describe that that uh, as a woman author dealing with the Christian woman author dealing with this issue saying that when a beautiful woman walks into a room the man has a thought that says I want that body and a woman has a thought of I want that body that there's a little bit of a difference that lust is about wanting something that We can't have or we're not supposed to have. And it's that desire to go after something that we're not supposed to go after. And so just just rest assured, this topic is not just a man's topic. If you're a woman and this is an issue for you on whatever level, you're not alone. You're not the only one in the room for whom this is an issue. So what does Jesus say? He begins verse 27, again, with common ground. He he, he draws from one of the Ten Commandments, the Seventh Commandment. We shall not commit adultery. And then in verse 28, he takes it to a whole other level. And he says, it's not just the actions that we take. It's, just, it's not just what we end up doing, what we, the, the, the result of, uh, of, you know, what we end up doing. It's the, the thoughts, the condition of the heart that led to those actions. This is what Jesus is saying. He wants to raise the bar with all this. It's not just the actions, it's the conditions of the heart that led to that. In fact, this is what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus says uh, multiple times here in this sermon, particularly in chapter five, you've heard it said this, and dealing with the action about how we respond or how this, uh, this action. Jesus says, but I say this, And he goes way uh, further on that. You've heard it said this, but I'm saying this because I care about the condition of the heart. I love the Sermon on the Mount. I love Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. I think they have changed the world, absolutely. I used to think that it was a radically new thing that Jesus introduced to the world. I used to think that it was a completely new perspective on, how, on what God's expectations are of us. But, as I've looked into this one in particular, God has always been interested in more than just our actions. God has always been interested in more than just the end piece. God has always been interested in the condition of the heart. You remember King David from the Old Testament, when Samuel went to choose who would be king that it was a surprise to all that God's choice for king was going to be the youngest and smallest of them all, King David, and then God says, through Samuel, says, says, the world looks at the outer appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is deep in the Old Testament, King David. And then King David's son, Solomon, he wrote the book of Proverbs, and in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, Solomon writes, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Above all else, guard your heart because everything else pours out of that. What's happening inside is what's most important because then that pours out into every other area. Above all else, guard your heart. We have, a, we have a tendency to sometimes think that uh, with regard to lust, that what i 'm thinking in my head is not a problem because it's, it's not hurting anybody that that person doesn't know that i'm I'm thinking of of her that that person doesn't know that you know what kind of fantasies that has led to, and so what's the harm what's the big deal i'm not hurting anyone, but because of God's understanding of your heart and love for your heart, Jesus says, yes, you are hurting someone. You're hurting yourself. That, that just because there isn't an outward action that is, hap- that is going on, it doesn't mean there's inward damage in terms of our heart. Frederick Beekner is a theologian. He says that lust is the craving of salt, for a man dying of thirst. It's a natural craving, but it is hurting us more than we're aware of. It's doing more damage than we're aware of, and that's not just Alan's opinion or whatever. This is, these are the words of Jesus who, who says, this, this is a big deal, and I love you and understand you enough to say, I want to speak into this. So what do we do? What then does Jesus say we are supposed to do? We've been talking in the series about action steps with the, different sev- with the seven deadly sins that are connected with the whole idea of how we literally clean out a garage, that we first identify, identify this sin. We identify the object in the garage. Uh, okay, so... Um, is is this uh, uh, something that is uh, we are only worried about the action step or what's going on with the condition of my heart? So I'm identifying, I'm I'm cleaning out the garage, pulling it all out on the front driveway, and just saying, okay, where is lust in my life? What is the condition of my heart? And then we examine it, we identify it, we put it on on the front driveway, and then we look at, it, we examine it. Okay how is this affecting my life how is this affecting how i view myself how is this affecting my relationships how is this affecting my sexual relationship how is this affecting my connection and intimacy with god we examine it we just say what what's happening what is this doing to me do i have control over this part of my life And then thirdly, we deal with it. We don't just put it back on the same place on the shelf. We deal with it. What am I going to do with this? And Jesus specifically talks about what to deal with this. In the next two verses, verses 29 and 30, Jesus says this, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. <sighs> this is pretty harsh. This is aggressive language. Gouge it out. Cut it off. Now, Jesus is not speaking literally. We, we understand that. We read that, and we understand the, the full picture of Jesus. He's not talking literally here. But I think he's using very aggressive language because he's saying, don't, don't dance around with this. Deal with it. Deal with it. Don't just put it off. Don't just stuff it in the back of the garage. Deal with this or it will have consequences in your future, and your future relationships. He's using aggressive language to say, deal with it. Deal with it now. Please, <laughs> deal with it. So, if we choose to trust the rabbi, that Jesus has something to say about this part of our life, and we want to do something with it, there's two things that we're all aware of, I just wanna remind you of these things here today. Nothing new. Two things that we can do. The first thing is good old-fashioned discipline. Good old-fashioned discipline. It's the ability, it's the growing strength in us to make good decisions, to make wise decisions, to pull ourselves away from situations and opportunities where we know from past experience that's not a good thing for us. It's discipline that says, I am going to make wise decisions. Good old-fashioned discipline. It's why we have eyelids you know, we have, we have many orifices in the face, and so we, we can't plug our ears instantly. You can't, you can't just plug your ears. You got to physically plug. You got to take care of that. You can't just plug our nose. We can't instantly do that. We got to take care of that. The mouth, we can shut that instantly. God's given us the ability, which is very good. There are many times we need to remember that God's given us the ability that can be very powerful in relationships. And he's also given us the ability to go like this. to just shut down that whole system instantly. God's given us eyelids to say, no, <laughs> don't look at that. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. God's given us the ability to develop discipline, to say, "To say, I will make wise decisions. I will, I will avoid those certain situations. The theological term for this is sanctification, that we grow in our understanding of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and let that Holy Spirit have more impact on us. We just sang the song. Let us become more aware of your presence. That's what that song means. May I continue to grow in discipline and trusting you that I would become more aware of your presence and hear the voice of the Holy Spirit that often whispers to us, no. Don't wear that. Don't stare at the one who's wearing that. Don't watch that. Don't read that. It's the Holy Spirit lovingly whispering. And discipline is the growing skill to hear that and respond to it and make good decisions. The second aggressive thing that we can do to battle this part of our lives is good old-fashioned accountability, woo, it. It's good old-fashioned accountability. It's the ability to sometimes say, okay, my discipline is probably not going to take care of that situation, so I'm gonna need a little bit of help. Accountability is not a sign of weakness, it's a sign of wisdom, it's a sign of, of personal awareness that says, I'm, I'm go- I want to be safe in that area of my life, See, because the reality is most of us can relate to this, that, that the brain, that our brains are very sophisticated, and there are many areas of life, particularly in the area of lust, where, where the brain says, I know, that's not a good idea. The brain says, I have lots of data, I have stories, I have my own personal experience, I have friends, I have, I'm fully aware that is a bad idea, and yet we still say, I don't care. I'm gonna do it anyway. The brain is so powerful to, to know all the information and still say, I don't care. I want the fruit. I know what the rule is. I know when I'm supposed to touch that tree. I want that fruit. And so the question is, when discipline doesn't cut it, Can we go in, are we willing to go into accountability? I'm accountable to my wife for everything that happens on my computer, everything that happens on my phone. We have software for all of that. And and so I'm accountable for, for all of that. I called her up on Monday this week. Uh, at, at the office here, and I said, hey, I just want to let you know uh, there likely will be some questionable searches this week because I'm doing a message on lust, okay? <laughs> so in my research, it may come up lust, uh, you know, fantasies, you know, whatever. There might be a number of things that come up. I just want to give you... So somebody overheard that conversation and poked in and said, hey, man, you got a free pass this week. No, no, that's kind of not the way this, this whole thing works. But are you willing to be accountable to someone. It's difficult, it's difficult. It's, it's okay with other seven, seven deadly sins to talk about them. It's okay to admit, you know, yeah, I struggle with greed. I mean, it's a lot easier to say that one. It's a lot easier to say, you know, pride. I think I dabble with pride a little bit and, and envy. I think that's a part of my journey. We can, we can talk about that. We can admit that stuff, but lust? for many of us it's just a little bit different it's embarrassing it's just a, because there's so much connected with it there's so much shame there's so much pain there's so much emotion connected with that one and so what we need is accountability but there's there's such this there's such embarrassment that that we're unwilling sometimes to get it, to get what we need, to get the accountability that we need. And that's a shame because what that means, and I've seen this walk out multiple, multiple times. It's an issue. We don't get accountability. And then we don't deal with it or talk about it until what? Until we get caught. So, So we need accountability. We actually want accountability. Many of us here in this room, we want accountability, but it's so hard to get that started, to start up that conversation. And so then we don't deal with it. We don't actually get help and freedom until we get caught. And we understand there's a huge difference between getting caught and confessing something before you get caught. There's just a difference. There's a difference in terms of how the people we've hurt are gonna respond to that situation. There's a difference in terms of the healing process. There's a difference in terms of how we see ourselves Whether we see ourselves as, okay, I'm where I am now because of of strength. I have done a good thing, it's painful, it's awkward, it's embarrassing, but we are moving towards something better because of the process of confession. Or it's just a different journey to get caught and then always have that question bouncing around, would would this have ever surfaced unless they got caught? It's just two different things. I think it's even different in in terms of our relationship with God. I think it's different because Paul says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. So there's two aggressive, old-fashioned ways to respond to this, discipline and accountability. And most of us, we, we actually need both. We need both because if if this is discipline, over on this side, if we rely just on discipline, the temptation of lust, it pummels us like waves on a tough shoreline. They just keep on coming and coming. In this culture, they just keep coming and coming and coming. And so uh, uh, there will be some moments, some days where we will be weak, where there will be a weakness in us, and that wave is going to come at exactly the wrong time. And so it it is a risky thing to rely fully on your strength and discipline. But it's also a risky thing to rely fully on accountability to rely fully on I'm just going to put myself in a bubble and I'm going to be fully accountable to anything and everything and every situation. I'm going I'm to make it so that I, I don't have to do any work. <laughs> but the reality of life, reality of, of lust in our culture is that there's always a workaround. It doesn't matter what the software is, what the system is, the number of times you meet throughout the week, there's always a way around it. So it's almost like we need a balance between these two things. It's it's like, imagine this is is a, a dial, a dial that can kind of move towards discipline or towards accountability. And we get to decide in our lives, based on our history and based on our story and our strengths and weaknesses, where does this dial land in terms of the area of lust in our lives? Where are we setting this dial? For example, take a look at pornography. Where would you set the dial in terms of the balance between discipline and accountability? You want to set it right in the middle, kind of have a balance here? If you set it in the middle and you still struggle with it, in other words, you find yourself getting away with things that you don't want to get away with, then perhaps the dial needs to be moved up towards the accountability side. Say, you know what? My, my discipline is not quite handling all that needs to happen. I'm going to turn up the accountability piece. Or it could be that this is a non-issue for you. It's, it, really is, it really is not an issue for you. And so, so maybe the, the dial could be bent back down here towards discipline to say, I'm going to continue to grow and develop discipline in that area of my life. I don't I don't need perhaps as much accountability as somebody else. I don't need to pay for the software or whatever. That if it's not an issue for you, kind of let that be let kind of let the Holy Spirit guide you as far as where this dial might be set. This is important for any of us who are parents that when our kids are young with this area of life, we we set the dial way high. We say we want, to, we want major accountability. We wanna protect them from stumbling into things. And little kids, we don't want them to have access to stuff and go on an iPad with un- unrestricted use, et cetera. So we're gonna have major restriction and accountability. We're gonna crank that up. But as kids get older, we gotta be careful with keeping the dial right here. As kids get older, this needs to shift down a little bit so that our kids can grow and develop their discipline so that our kids can not just have the accountability and realize, hey, accountability is good, but that they can also grow to be able to make some decisions on their own because there's always a workaround with accountability. So can we help them develop their discipline? As parents, it's not our primary role to protect our kids. It's our primary role to train them, to equip them, So that when they head out, they have the tools that they need and they get to decide and make their choices in their relationship with God in terms of what that all looks like. But how can we train them to grow and develop their discipline? So for you in your life, in the area of lust or whatever area God may be speaking to you here this morning, where's the the dial and does it need to slide somewhere? Does it need to slide one way or the other? I want to close uh, this morning with just one more piece. Essentially, it's, it's the reason we want you to consider memorizing the Scripture, 1 John 1.9. And, and basically, the reason we, it's so valuable to memorize Scripture is so that we can have Scripture accessible to us in a moment, in an instant. If you are a believer okay? If you would sit here, you're sitting in this room, and you would say, you are a believer. That doesn't just mean that you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins, but that also means that Jesus is your rabbi, and Jesus has something to say about this and other topics, even if we don't want to hear them. So a believer means, I believe Jesus has something to teach me in this area. If you believe that What Jesus is saying is it's not just the actions, it's the condition of the heart. If you believe that, then do you have Scripture ready in your mind to help you in that moment so that when, you know, the accountability hasn't kicked in and your discipline is not doing well or whatever, do you have the Word of God to lift you up, protect you, to give you strength there in that moment? That's why... You know, you know, in that moment, it's, it's, we can't uh, always look things up. We don't always have time to look things up. You, you know, your brain might not be ready to go ahead and look something. Okay, this is, what, what is that? A gouge. How do you spell gouge? Where is that? Where's that verse about gouge? And so there's some wisdom in saying, I don't have to look everything up. I already know it, it's there. And so perhaps it would be helpful for some of us to say, if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive my sins and purify me of all unrighteousness. That's who I want to be. That's who I am. That's who God has designed me to be. Or maybe it's another verse. For me, a very significant and powerful verse is one that I mentioned earlier on from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Above all else, Alan, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life, the issue here is it's not about what you're going to get away with or how much it costs or how much it might hurt that person or whatever. Above all else, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. Everything that you care about, everything that matters flows out of that. Do you have the word of God to help you in those moments when you're just, your dial isn't set, your accountability isn't set, your discipline isn't ready, whatever? Do you have the word of God and my hope is that you do, and that's what, that's, what, that's what we're trying to do with this series, is just open up this possibility for you. As we close here today, I want to pray with you, and, uh, and just, I just want to take a little extra time in prayer to just, to just allow us to have some intimacy with God as we, before we uh, dismiss. Would you bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, once again, I thank you that you love us so much. You're here. You want to speak to us. God, as we deal with this area of life, you know that there's a lot of shame. There's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of embarrassment. There's a lot of unforgiveness. There's a lot of brokenness. So we invite you to come into all of those places. We come into this room because it's a safe place. You're here. Would you come and bring your grace and your hope and your love? Right now, Father, we just wanna take a moment to confess this area of our lives. We just wanna, we just wanna say in our mind areas where we're struggling with lust. And now, Father, just as as your son Jesus was very aggressive on this topic and said, cut it out. I just wanna pray that you would bring us tremendous strength here in this room. God, that you would bring the gift of discipline into the hearts and minds of men and women here. That we would be disciplined in this area to make wise decisions and not follow these natural impulses. God, we pray aggressively for accountability that you would give us the courage to bring up the conversation, to talk to somebody, talk to our parents, talk to a friend, talk to our spouse, that we would pursue accountability for the sake of our future, for the sake of the kingdom. We aggressively, lovingly, confidently pray these things in the name of Jesus, amen.